Welcome to Light Your Leadership Talks, or Lil Talks. Every week, we bring you informal chats with leaders and leadership experts from around the globe. Your host is Lisa Anna Palmer, author of the international best-selling book, Light a Fire in Their Hearts, The Truth About Leadership. Listen in so that you too can stay informed about the latest wise practices that set great leaders apart. Before I introduce Natalie, I would like for all to join me in acknowledging and honoring Indigenous peoples in this country and in the world who have given and sacrificed so much and continue to teach us and remind us about respecting Mother Earth and all living beings. I would like to acknowledge that we are all joining in from various Indigenous lands that have long been inhabited by Indigenous peoples, and that since I am in Ottawa, that I'm on the traditional unceded and unsurrendered territory of the Algonquin peoples. I would also like to acknowledge the wise practices of the First Nations, Métis and Inuit, and their unique and inherent relationship to these lands. Let's take a moment and pause and remember and acknowledge and honor the spirits of thousands of Indigenous children whose lives were lost and torn apart when they were taken from the arms of their parents and imprisoned in Indian residential schools by the government and religious institutions. Their precious voices are finally being heard and they're showing us the undeniable truth. Our hearts go out to all the children and all of their relations. Please accept our deepest sympathies and condolences for your great loss. Now, I will turn it over to our wonderful and amazing guest, whom I love dearly, Natalie, whose spirit name is Dancing Star Sparkles Through Water Woman. Natalie is a pipe carrier of the Algonquin Huron ancestry and has been adopted into the Mountain Goat Clan of the Navajo through ceremonialist Ron Yellowman. She's been walking the Red Road since the 1990s. She's been blessed to sit ceremony, and travel with loving elders from various nations going through the process of slowly embodying teachings. Besides being a mother, wife, soul shaker, and traditional drummer, and an amazing friend, currently Natalie is the lead for Indigenous retention and well-being at the Corporate Indigenous Workforce Director of Indigenous Crown Relations and Northern Affairs Canada. She is also deeply involved with and is doing important work on Indigenous cultural competencies for the government of Canada. I'm so grateful that you are here with us today, Natalie, to share your wisdom about Indigenous worldviews and two-eyed scene. Thank you so much for joining us as a guest on Little Talks. This is part two of a three-part conversation with Natalie Blosky on what we can all learn from two-eyed seeing and living. If you have not already, please listen to part one of our conversation before starting part two. So talking about pain, I think what's happening with residential schools is we need to look, we need to see. And I think um, the children that died in these schools, in these residential schools, or died trying to get away from them, you know, their, vo- their voices are definitely being raised. Um, I've been on this path since the 90s, and elders have spoken of this often. We knew 
but it's kind of like um, having a wound and it's kind of, you know, scabbing over and then something else happens. And so it's, you got to start over again and then something else happens and then something else happens. And so for some people, it's difficult to understand that something that happened maybe 20, 40 more years ago. And don't, do not forget that the residential schools were running until 1997 is when the, the last one was closed. So it's not that distant in, in the, in the past. And I'm sure any parent from any culture that has lost a child, it stays with them forever. And when you look at what was done with residential schools, it affected not only the children and, and their families, so their the mom, their dad, their siblings, uncles and aunties, which are very close in Indigenous communities and so on. It affected their children too, because if you are being put through something like residential school, you can bet that there's going to be some major harm done there. There's going to be an impact on your own children and on your children's children, and it's called transgenerational trauma. And so those children are speaking to us pretty loudly. And one of the things that I hear a lot is, I'm not surprised, but it still hurts so deeply. It's a deep, deep pain. And so it's as if that scab has really been ripped off right now. And people are just kind of dipping back into that, that sorrow, that loss, that pain. And, you know, you feel it in your bones. I'll give you an example too. Um, when I was in the Callaway a few years back for the uh, Aldi program uh, with um, Indigenous participants in the program, we had the privilege of listening to Elder Alisi speak to us uh, in a language. And she shared how many, many years ago, um, her husband, and they had many children, her husband uh, got tuberculosis and he was actually flown in the South and she's never heard about him since. And so imagine that that sense of loss and not knowing what happened to that person. She has no idea what happened to him. No one has ever communicated with her before. And in our circle of participants, there was actually one young man whom reminded her of her husband in a certain angle, a certain light, he just looked like him. And there were such tears coming out of her. And so you could connect to that pain. And at the same time, there was just so much love there. And so these things will haunt you for, you know, for a lifetime. We do our healing work, but these things are still a part of, of who we are. And so, you know, that imbalance and power of the Western worldviews over the worldviews of, you know, those of us who've been on Turtle Island since, you know, a long time. I often use the term immemorial, but sometimes more recently I've been reminded that for Métis, it's not since time immemorial because they're actually uh, the result of love uh, between two cultures and more. And so what's been happening really is, is we've been claiming our own balance. And Indigenous people don't need other people to fix this for us. What we need is for people to actually care about us, give us the support that we need to be able to, with the strengths of our ways of knowing and being and doing, to heal. When I say these things, I'm not speaking on behalf. I'm just expressing a lot of the conversations uh, that are going on right now amongst uh, Indigenous peoples. Thank you, Natalie, for sharing that and, and such a, 
heartbreaking time now that like like you said that the the truth is coming out which has been there all along many many people have been in denial and now there's no denying so the, the children's voices have heard you know and, and I'm, I'm glad you clarified you know indigenous people don't need leadership to be led they have they have their own leadership and it's an amazing two-eyed leadership and some of us who are non-indigenous sometimes there's there's that feelings like I want to help. I'm not sure how, you know, am I going to do the wrong thing, the right thing? And, and for that reason, some people hold back when, when they're, they're being called. So there's this internal struggle that goes on. And I'm sharing again from, from my own perspective and what I've heard, you know, as a coach and, and, and as, as a member of the community, how, or what is your suggestion or guidance from your perspective in terms of how we can be there to be supportive? Yeah. So the answer to that is get to know us, <laughs> get to know us. And it, it's so interesting. I went to, I, I got my first vaccine. I think it was like two days after the first uh, residential school unearthing or discovery, if you will. Although for us, it's not a discovery. It's we knew they were there. But the reaction of people around me was so different from before. Unlike today, I was actually wearing my braid and I was wearing, I wasn't in, dressed in my regalia, but I had a shawl uh, that was clearly Indigenous. And people were reaching out to me and speaking to me and just complimenting this shawl that I wear all the time. <laughs> I usually don't get uh, a reaction to it, but people just felt so open and I could kind of almost feel intuitively my right side of the brain that this was in the back of their mind. And so it's a really interesting experience because people are, I think they want to connect. Um, I think some people, their eyes are, are open uh, more than they were before. They're kind of waking up. And I think, you know, in some of our other talks, Lisa, we've talked about this. There's been an awakening that's going on that the pandemic has brought about. You know, there's that global uh, reckoning. And yeah, it, it's just, it's it's been fascinating to me. So I, I think the answer to that is get to know us. And it, it's so easy to learn about a culture by reading a book or watching a video. And, and that's one of, or two of many ways you can do that. But if you really want to get to know us, spend time with us. And so I'm going to talk about two I'd seen because this is the how. This is how as two, three, four, and more cultures, we get to know one another and we get to a place that is reconciliation, but that is so much more than reconciliation. It's the way forward for, I think, all peoples. And I remember grandfather William Kamanda, who's Algonquin, who traveled internationally and spoke about our cultures. Really, the, the thought behind that is all nations coming together. Uh, and when I say nations, I don't mean uh, just First Nations. I mean people from all different backgrounds. And so I think at all times, we've all been Indigenous. However, being Indigenous is not something that's in the past. It's a way of, of seeing the world through these two-eyed seeings and um, this way of being. So I talked about the brain, and I talked about it inside our own head, if you will, with the both sides. But two-eyed seeing can also apply to two different cultural groups coming together. So there was the individual, and now we're going to look at it from like 
more of a, almost like a systems perspective. And so two-eyed seeing is, it's the process of learning to see because it's not something that just suddenly comes about. It's a learning process and it's learning to see from one eye, you see from the strengths of the ways of knowing, being, and doing of, um, for example, let's say the Western mind, or let's use the public service as an example, but it's not just a public service. It's really that Western mind. So that way. And then the other eye really is it sees from the strengths of Indigenous ways of knowing, being, and doing. And so we want to use both of those eyes together for the benefit of all. And so no one is more powerful than the other. No one is more right than the other. It's really we're coming from the strengths of the ways of knowing and being and doing of both. And so when we look at the public service, for example, um, the public service, I'm going to share some of the concepts that are used, but again, think it could be simply the Western mind. It might not just be the public service. It might be another workplace. And so I'm going to use an example there, and I'm going to show the other side, the Indigenous side, that kind of like a mirror reflection, but it's, it turns it out differently. And so, for example, when you talk about the public service, a lot of the vocabulary we use is about ongoing action, managing, leading, being accountable, decision making. And so even the way that we use the vocabulary, it's kind of specific and you can see it connecting to that left brain that we talked about before. When you talk about Indigenous ways of knowing, being, and doing, and those strengths are very much about in this moment interactions. Um, and so you can think of, for example, of the right side of the brain. And so when you bring together the Western mind and you bring together the indigenous mind, they, they complement each other. And um, the result of that is so much more than if you had been using just half your brain, for example. Now. When I say two-eyed seeing, I could and should probably also be saying multi-eyed seeing. So if, for example, one of the sides is Algonquin, the other side might be Mohawk. And so you can apply this in all kinds of ways. And it doesn't mean necessarily that one is the left side of the brain or the right side of the brain. It could just be that there are two different perspectives, there are two different ways of knowing, being, and doing. It could be one side is... Algonquin and the other side is Inuit, for example. This is a way for us to coexist and to co-produce and co-relationship and, and amazing things can come out of it. So let's do a little bit of reflective work going from one side to the other side. So with the public service, for example, we talk a lot about managing relationships. And uh, Lisa, you often talk about managing, you often talk about leadership. And so if we look specifically at relationships, so managing relationships, again, from the strengths of the ways of knowing, being, and doing of the public service, we talk about the public service. That's a relationship. Then we talk about whoop, departments. Then we talk about directorates and we talk about teams. So it's kind of, you can almost see like an org chart in front of you <laughs> going from bigger to smaller. And so the relationships have 
that kind of hierarchy, if you will, uh, when we're talking about managing relationships. If you look from the other perspective, for example, for Indigenous peoples, if you were looking at managing relationships, for, for us, it translates as our peoplehood. And for us, peoplehood is um, connected to territory, so the land. It's connected to our sacred stories. It's connected to uh, ceremonial cycles, for example, and it's connected to our language. And so you can already see that there's we approach it from a different perspective. So managing relationships on one side and the other peoplehood. If you look at leading, so we're gonna look at more specifically at leadership on, uh, for example, public service, when we talk about strengths of no ways of knowing, being, and doing, we talk about key leadership competencies of the public service. The public service has, you know, well-defined um, key leadership competencies, and it has um, the desired behaviors that go with it, and those that are not desired um, behaviors. And so it, it, it talks about that when we talk about um, leadership. It's our reference point, if you will, for the entire public service. When you look at the other side, if you're looking at Indigenous worldviews, for example, we talk about lead. And when we talk about leadership, and so yes, Lisa, you're absolutely right. <laughs> Indigenous people have their own leadership. Uh, it's always been there. We talk about concepts and teachings that are from various cultural practices. So leadership for me, for example, as somebody who's from Algonquin ancestry will be very different from uh, Inuit leadership. And um, I challenge you to try to find a book that talks about Inuit leadership because it's so different. Each indigenous culture, because there's so many of them, have their own way of leading. But in general, you could say that the concepts and the teachings come from various cultural practices. So we go back onto the other side again. So public service, for example, when we talk about being accountable, it's about performance. And it's, you know, your performance vis-a-vis, -vis, for example, the key leadership competencies. It's based on the results. It's based on uh, being accountable is about delegation. So we have delegated authorities that go by level. If you look on the other side for uh, the... Um, worldviews of Indigenous peoples, it's often about serve or service. And so uh, service to whom? To the people, to the community, as the center of all that we do. You know, we're, we're taught from a young age to use more the word we or us versus I or me. And so we're accountable to the people, to the community. And there's an expression that we use, all my relations, for example. So if we go back again, we'll do another uh, comparison of, of two-eyed seeing. And actually, I use the word comparison, but it's not really comparison. It's bringing together. So we look at decision-making. So in the public service, for example, decision-making is very linear. It's, yes, we'll do consultations. We hear that in the public service. Of course, I mentioned the organizational chart a little bit earlier. Committees, we have lots of committees. It's about process plus outcomes as well, and they're seen as two separate things. When you look at the Indigenous eyesight, we're looking at many voices, one mind. It's a circular 
uh, concept. It's consensus, not consultation. Consensus is very different. It involves deep listening. And the process is actually equal to the outcome. Both of them, the way you do it, the how you do it, is just as important as the outcome. So taking the time for every voice to be heard is so important to us because it's part of the outcome. Mm-hmm. Um, I love that. So too, yeah. I, I love and, that. And, and, and it's also about the journey, right? Oh, sometimes yeah. we're so focused on getting that result. Like if you're looking at, you know, the, the, the more business oriented, pure business, you know, it's like, okay, you got to get that result. And we forget about all the growth that can happen during the journey if we're intentional and yeah. conscious about it. So I think that's a really, you're making very important distinctions um, about how both sides are important um, and that two-eyed scene can really help us bring together and become more rounded as people and as leaders. So imagine being able to develop, you know, all these aspects to our person and uh, being able to lead from that space. And then, you know, uh, the possibilities are endless because it also points to empathy and compassion to take the time to be able to ask somebody, you know, tell me more about why you're seeing things this way and, you know, to deepen understanding rather than to create conflict. So I, I love this, this approach. Actually, the, the um, expression to I'd see is an indigenous expression. It comes from uh, Mi'kmaq elder Albert Marshall, and he coined it about 25 years ago in his language and I am not a Mi'kmaq speaking person. So please, um, if I do not pronounce it correctly, you know, I do it humbly. Etwept uh, monk is the Mi'kmaq word for two-eyed seeing. And basically what I've done there is I've given an understanding of the integration of Indigenous and Western worldviews, you know, forms of, of, of knowledge. And um, it really provides us with kind of a map of moving forward together because we need to be able to move forward together to be able to face all these things that are coming up that are calling us to awaken and and to work together. And so two-eyed seeing is a really good model for us to go forward. So the idea is that you bring together these people from these different groups together and uh, we use our cross-cultural competencies. So I, for example, as an Indigenous person, if I'm going to choose to work in the public service, there's some things about the public service that are good for me to, to learn about and to learn about the Western mind as well. And, you know, we've been doing that since forever for all kinds of reasons, some of it being imposed on us, of course, um, through residential schools and so forth. But our colleagues who are non-Indigenous, especially those that work in our two departments, have everything to gain by learning about our ways of knowing and doing, being and doing, to be able then to serve, you know, better services for Indigenous peoples, because our two departments are all about Indigenous people. They can't be a clearer mandate than that. And so this is something that we've done is we've actually have a cultural competency learning policy in our department, uh, in both departments, actually. 
And they are both very much aligned with two-eyed seeing. And so it's important that we get to know each other, how we both function. And to bring all of that together, it all complements because it's all coming from strengths. And so we get to a place where we're much more generative. It allows a deeper shift. It's, I think, an essential piece to reconciliation, but it goes so much beyond that. It goes into, you know, the future that's emerging uh, through COVID and all of these global events that have been going on. You know, for Indigenous people, we look beyond reconciliation. It's so much more than that. And our mandate is not when I look at the two departments, it's it's not just about reconciliation. It's about so much more. So we want to be building a new relationship with Indigenous peoples. And it's based on mutual respect, on recognition of Indigenous peoples' right to self-determination. We are not like the other employment equities. We are the original peoples. We have been here for millennia. And so hopefully with uh, two-eyed seeing and cultural competencies, it leads to better understanding, better knowledge, better relationship, and better decisions. We need to get those Indigenous leaders at all levels uh, in government and in all the private sector as well. Because, you know, Lisa, you and I know this. We've talked about the seven grandfather teachings and how awesome that would be if, if we all applied those. Because... At the heart of everything, we've all been Indigenous peoples, and we're all Indigenous peoples of the planet, of this earth. So this has a potential to be a transformational change. And right now, in our two departments, we're looking at, we're actually reviewing our policies, our procedures, our services to make sure that they are culturally competent, that they come from a place of two-eyed seeing. You know, I like I said, I always learn so much uh, from you, and and I I just love learning about Indigenous culture, and it's been certainly, and I can speak for myself in, in sharing that forward with the hopes of inspiring others who are non-Indigenous to learn, because it's such a personal and leadership development journey to yeah. to learn, and and just the depth of of the teachings, and uh, like you said, the seven grandfather teachings. To me, when when I heard and learned about them from you, I was like, oh my gosh, every workplace needs this, right? Because, and, and you'll probably need to fill in some of my, my gaps, but, you know, so if I can remember some of them, you know, it's about love, respect, honesty, truth, courage, wisdom, and humility, right? So those are the things that are going to shift our workplaces. So we have a lot to learn from Indigenous leadership, a ton. Think about how much better our workplaces would be if we had all oh. these values represented and lived every day. People would get along so much better. There'd be collaboration. And there are places that are operating in that way. So let's use those as role models, uh, both Indigenous and non-Indigenous. And uh, let's let's use those workplaces, those companies, those departments as models moving forward. This is our opportunity to be able to bring these things in as we we continue on with our journey back to a, a better time. I, instead of saying back to normal, we're going to recreate a, a much better workplace and planet for all. That's my hope anyways. And I know that we share that, Natalie. So, Yeah, we, we, we definitely connect uh, in that place and, and so many more. You know, I, I remember when um, we first talked about the grandfather teachings, which are from um, the Algonquin speaking uh, peoples. And 
we actually, I drew it out on a napkin <laughs> and that's so indigenous. I didn't prepare a deck. I didn't prepare a PowerPoint presentation for you. Um, we actually scribbled it on, on a napkin in a restaurant in between meetings with national indigenous organizations. And if we were to go back maybe a hundred years, that might've been you know, drawn in the sand with a root from a tree um, because we still had scribing back then. Uh, when we would share some teachings. Uh, so in our case, we did it on a napkin. And then you took it and you flew with it and you applied to I'd seen to it. You did prepare a proposal for one of our learning programs. And so I think the way that that unfolded was exactly <laughs> the way it needed to, to happen. And um, it certainly is being looked at now with everything that's been going on. So that's, that's one of many teachings of, of many cultures. This marks the end of the second part of our conversation with Natalie Blosky on what we can all learn from two-eyed seeing and living. Check back next week to hear part three. A big thank you to our Little Talk listeners for tuning into today's show. Please share with friends and colleagues who care about leadership and what is happening in our workplaces. If you'd like to keep this conversation going, please go to lightyourleadership.com to book a discovery call. While you're there, be sure to grab your copy of Light a Fire in Their Hearts, The Truth About Leadership. We wish you an excellent rest of the week. And until next time, remember to light your leadership because building authentic business relationships will help you to love your life as a leader.